The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, got P Nate and Pooty. Just, <laughs> just doing it in different voices. Are we fine with that? That's fine. Love it. In Garage Mahal on a sunny September fall day thing. It's actually hot, eh? Like it is, summer, it is summer's come back around. Canada has like two seasons. We have like we have winter and, and almost then, winter. And then like summer slash spring all the time. So we have, which I guess is really three, three rain and winter is what we have. And then blistering, smoking hot in Southwestern Ontario. Yes. The worst, is, the worst is the transition when you just get the sleet, like the slushy dirtiness. I hate that. I'm not looking forward to that. You know, I used to be very excited about the fact that like the city used to plow this like one little part of my driveway every couple like weeks, just once, but like just cause there was a bus stop near my house. They got rid of the bus stop, so I'm dreading this winter because I'm like, you got to shovel your driveway like a normal man. Well, I always, I've always had to do <laughs> doesn't like, get privileges most most check of the time. Your privilege, but, booty. <laughs> check my privilege. I get told that a lot actually. Um, but you know, you know when like every it's like it's like when you're um, it's like a surprise every couple of weeks mm. where you just go out and you're like. Oh, the guy did it in the morning because he was clearing the. Bu- yeah. But now that's never going to happen. Now every single time it snows, it's on me. It's, it's the true. worst. It's true. Well, that we was, are the that Rebel. Was dark. <laughs> Pray for Pooty. Um, we are the Rebel Podcast. We are part of the Rebel Alliance Media, as you know. Um, there's lots going on. Check us. Check out all the various podcasts at rebelalliancemedia.com. We have some cool things in the works. Eschatology 201 is being dropped uh, as we speak. If you're following along with that video series, just keep in mind that you can throw questions in. If if you get to the end of an episode and you wish that I had have uh, taught uh, a little bit more in depth on a particular verse or a particular topic, uh, send those those questions in because we're going to be doing a follow-up Q&A to that series, uh, which I'm super excited about. And there's a little surprise for that too. So uh, anyway, lots going on there. Subscribe to all of the, the podcasts. Uh, check out the um, blogs and all that stuff going on at rebelalliancemedia.com. We're we, gonna, we have so much stuff happening, we just literally can't even list it anymore. Yeah, it's like, like, I was just about stuff to... There's happening. stuff happening. Just, just go, do it. It's look good. at it. It's yeah. all good. And it's all thanks to you. So thank you to all of our patrons. Patreon.com slash rebelalliance. That's how you can give back to the show if you so choose. Um, the, the content will always be free, uh, but uh, we appreciate those who allow us to do more content. And that's where the Eschatology 201 series came along. So if you are not a patron and you're enjoying Eschatology 201, thank a patron. Thank a patron. They made <laughs> thank, it happen. Thank a patron today. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into Rebel News. You were super excited about something you, that you had over there. Uh, what's, your, what's your news? I just want, to, I just want your, your take on this. So Chick-fil-A. 
Oh, back again? Sales. Are you just trying to get me to say chuck off again? <laughs> yes, I totally am. Uh, no. Chick-fil-A sales have doubled since the LGBT bu- uh, boycott began in 2012. Amen. <laughs> Thoughts? It's post What do you want me to say? It's, uh, I think, I, I, the truth is, this is, you're seeing a principle play itself out, and this is where I think if Christians had a better... Um, understanding of, or I I should say this, if two kingdom theology hadn't infiltrated the church, right? If we hadn't, if we didn't have this sort of secular sacred divide where we look at uh, the Bible's instruction is for us as Christians on Sunday mornings or in our private lives, but not necessarily for the culture at large. If that thinking hadn't seeped into the churches, then we would just look at this in the same ways that we look at, you know, under persecution, the church grows. And I think that's true for whether it's a, 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 Christian organization trying to live by godly principles, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, whatever it is, that um, through perseverance, through uh, difficulty, uh, grows blessedness. And so God always blesses out of the the difficulty. And the blessing doesn't always look like we might want it to, but I think in Chick-fil-A's particular um, instance, God is just blessing faithfulness. And so they haven't caved. They've, they've taken their hits, they've taken their bad publicity, they've, they've taken the protesters, and all the while they just keep sticking with their principles and treating people well and treating their employees well and staying by biblical standards, and I think God's blessing it. So, Yeah, amen. I have nothing more to add on that. I yeah. think that's perfect, except that if you happen to know somebody who owns a Chick-fil-A or works for Chick-fil-A, the Rebels could use a Chick-fil-A sponsorship. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be good. Like, we'll put it right on the back of our shirts. Like, I'll rock chicken sandwiches every time we record this. I was, about, I was about to say this mofo. <laughs> like that would be sweet if we had some uh, some Chick Fil A sponsorship, so we were eating Chick Fil A whenever we recorded. All of our videos just we have like the, the, the we just turn the cup sideways. Yeah. It'd be so good. Have got, just a little uh, fillet sauce on her, uh, like in the beard. I, I do have another one for you. All right, and um, this is the more more the serious right. one. So it's not okay. about Kanye. I thought no, it's sure not about Kanye. This, about Kanye. <laughs> no, it's not about Kanye. Not this week, anyway. Um, but no, this this actually kind of sort of happened to you and Jude um, a couple years ago. But I, I want to read a story to you out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. Um, that happened. And I just want to get your take on this because this kind of plays a little bit on something that's happened in reverse. Um, so a coffee shop um, employer mm. employee berated uh, a customer um, due to her biblical beliefs about homosexuality last week. Um, so September 11th. Right. Um, Marilyn, I'm going to say the name wrong. I hope not. Sinek okay. um, was in the coffee shop. And I'm going to read the quote from the employee. So pardon if this offends anybody, be, children be safe. Um, so the employee says, Marilyn Steinick, I didn't recognize you until now, but I just realized who you are and what you stand for and the work you do. You are bleep bigoted <laughs> trash and we do not want you in our restaurant. Over 80% of the people who work here are queer and you are not bleep wanted in our restaurant. So get out and don't come back. And if you, if you come back, we will refuse you any service. Wow. So right away, that should spark all sorts of reminders of Jack Phillips right. in reverse. Right. So the question I have for you, I'm, I'm just going to yeah, ask you a, yeah, a, yeah, go for a, it. a practical question. If this was you, which this kind of did happen to you. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, what would you do? 
Do, would you sue? Would you then make a big deal about this? You just take it. Just take it. So um, what what happened to us is so Jude St. John, who's been on the podcast before, uh, who's a good friend of our, mine and ours and uh, a pastor in a neighboring city. Uh, we were in a coffee shop with a, another mutual friend and we were chatting and, and I can't remember what the context of the conversation was. I think we actually had a friend or somebody had a friend or a relative who, um, had just got engaged within a, a same sex, uh, uh, relationship. And so we were talking about not going to the, to the wedding and, um, and you know, how to approach that and all that kind of stuff. And so we were just having a conversation about what the Bible says about homosexuality and um, how to navigate the nuances of a relationship with somebody that you uh, care about, um, who is gay. How do you maintain your witness while not compromising your standards, like going to the celebration of their mirage? And uh, and so uh, the shop, the coffee shop manager, not the owner, but the coffee shop manager at the time came over to us and told us that they, it was a female and it, it, it was in a very, I, I live in a pretty, well, you and I live in a, I would say neighborhood that's pretty LGBT friendly, yeah, right? Like there's a, there's a particular street, a little, little kind of main street in the little neighborhood that we live in. That's considered one of the more LGBT friendly, uh, neighborhoods in, in Ontario. Anyway, so we were in a coffee shop there and we were having this conversation. The manager basically just said that she thought that our conversation was inappropriate, unkind, and um, that that kind of conversation wasn't welcome in their coffee shop. And I guess my first reaction was like, look at how bad society is. I can't believe we can't even talk about this. What about religious freedom? What about freedom of speech? Yada, yada. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this is, um, I, I believe that private business owners have the opportunity and have the uh, right to refuse service to anybody for, for really any reason. I'm even of the opinion that um, you can refuse somebody. I mean, I would say, I don't think it's good, but I would say you should allow the individual rights of a private business owner to be racist. You want, you know, let the free market work this out. If, if there's a racist cake shop owner who's not baking cakes for um, anybody but Caucasians, they're going to eventually go out of business, right? Or, or they might not, but I think it's not the government's responsibility to police morality. And that's a, a really slippery slope. So we actually just, we, we appreciated her. Now she didn't respond to us like this lady did, right? She was, she was fairly kind. You could tell she was apprehensive about what she was saying and it took all her courage to come up and, and say this to us. And so we just respectfully stopped that conversation and, and we, we found somewhere else to meet for coffee and we used to go there on a, on a more regular basis and we went somewhere else. So they did lose our business, but we didn't make a big deal of it. Um, and I think that that's what this person should do because the moment a Christian or Christians turn around and say, run their play on them is this is a play that we're trying to weed out of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying, we're trying to teach the, the gay couple who is trying to sue Jack Phillips that they can just go to another, uh, cake shop. And so we should say to that, that, uh, Christian, if they're going to sue or whatever, just say, just go find another coffee shop, right? Like let, let's the, the right of a private business owner is is more important than your individual crusade in this particular matter so i yeah that's how i would approach that amen um so i got something for you i don't i don't know if you saw this site or this uh this story but there was a an abortion doctor did you hear about this no all right so there's this this abortion doctor named ulrich klopfer 
um, and he was Indiana's most prolific um, abortion doctor. Uh, he died at the age of 75, and he died on September 3rd. And a few days later, when his, I don't know if it was kids or whatever, but it was relatives, went to clean out his house. So his personal house, um, they found the bodies of 2,246 aborted babies at his home. What? At his house? At his house. So not at his clinic, not at his whatever, but 2,246 aborted babies at his home. So they they immediately uh, phoned the coroner's office. The coroner's office got in touch with the um, police, and the police are now under investigating, trying to find out whether or not these babies are um, were uh, abortions performed at home, abortions performed off the books. I mean, it's obviously going to be hard for them to sort all that stuff out. But to over two thousand two hundred bodies of aborted babies. So again, we don't know the details of this, so we won't speculate as to whether or not these were on the books, off the books, whatever. Um, but it's essentially, it, it's interesting to see how, so my, my biggest thing is it's interesting to see how the media is not covering this and how they're spinning it because this is what I want to make, the comment I want to make on this is there have been some um, social media posts, tweets, and stuff like that that show some of the investigation and some of the coroner's things taking these bodies out, right? Because they're trying to identify them. They're trying, they're, 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 I mean, it's an ongoing investigation. So there's all these mutilated bodies and mutilated babies, and, uh, and people are, are getting upset that it's being shown. And I guess my point would be is, Every abortion, like this is, this is a weird story because it's at his home and everything, but like every abortion clinic, every Planned Parenthood, every, you know, hospital wing where this stuff happens, there would be bodies lying in the trash of the body parts they didn't sell at least, um, right? There, there would be yeah. these sorts of bodies. And so everybody's outraged about this. And yet they would be totally fine, like, right, mass culture would be totally fine with it if it wasn't at his personal house. It was just back at the clinic down the road, right? And, and what they're outraged about is the, the bodies on display. And I think what, what we as Christians, our responsibility with a story like this is to remind people that there are more than 2,246 bodies piled up, you know, at every abortion clinic um, until they're disposed of, this is just putting on display the cost of right to choose, yeah, right? This is just the right to choose on full display. This is, this is what abortion is. And so anybody getting outraged about this story needs to ask the question why. And, and I would say that there are more people who would, would check the box that they believe in the right to choose. And yet when it comes to these kinds of stories, they're outraged, they're mortified, they, it gets them sick to their stomach. Why? Because they're just, it, it's just put on display what's normally hid behind, you know, the veneer of um, hospital chemicals and, and waste bins and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I, have a, I have a question that I, maybe I don't know the law well enough in the States. It, it's... it's it would. I would assume it's still illegal to do like, um, like basically an off the books abortion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder. I wonder in this situation. Like, I'm not saying they would even pursue this, but if they were able to do because they can do DNA and stuff off bones. If they were able to identify the people who 
basically did these off the books. Could we not then charge them with the crime of like whatever crime that is at that point? And it'd be interesting to see if they're like, cause a crime has been committed. Yeah. Um, like we would say many crimes have been yeah. committed there, but, but even in, in their crazy liberal system, there still a crime has been committed that right. needs to be followed up on. Right. And it'll be interesting to see if they ever push that on. They ever push that envelope yeah, all the I, way. Like you said, I imagine they would never would, but that is an interesting thought. And, um, and obviously the guy who performed the abor- abortions would be the one guy they would think to go after, right? Because even Gosnell, right, with that whole thing, um, people called him a monster. People called him a, a serial killer um, because he was killing the babies outside of the womb, um, which is a ridiculous inconsistency in their own worldview. But um, what's interesting about this is he's dead, right? They only found these bodies because he died and they are cleaning out his estate. So who's left while the moms are left. And this goes to a really interesting case because even a lot of the pro-life legislation that's being pushed through in very conservative states like Georgia's heartbeat bill and stuff, um, it's not charging women with, it's not, none of those laws have, have, um, I guess, labeled the mother who carries out an abortion or who, who goes for an abortion as a murderer. Right. But, but essentially, and, and that's like, so you said, whatever that crime is, well, it like, it would be murder, right? Because you still, you still, other than in New York where at least they're trying to be consistent, but they're crazy liberal, consistent, (laughs) inconsistent, um, is, uh, you know, if you, if you kill a child in the womb, right, that was wanted, (laughs) you get charged for double homicide. Now that these children weren't wanted, so it'd be interesting what legal category they fall into. But I think you're absolutely right. Is like a crime was committed here and there were, there were moms who went and got their kids. If, and who knows, he might've done this in the clinic and taken the bodies home. Um, I saw a couple which, tweets, from, which makes him a serial killer keeping trophies. Well, so yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's, I saw a couple tweets of people going up saying, well, all serial killers keep trophies. Right. And like, and I think it shows um, and this and this goes back to even some of the stuff that was going on through the, the procedures when they were trying to legalize some of the pro-life legislation getting pushed through in the states is you have a bunch of doctors. Doctors know what abortion is like they, they know what's going on here. It's the generalized public that uses the you know clump of cells arguments. Doctors don't use that anymore because medical advancement has gone so far. It's not a clump of cells. Nobody thinks it's a clump of cells anymore. Yeah. And so they know it's murdering children. Um, and so that's what's interesting is that the doctors who know the most about what they're doing seem to be these really perverted individuals, the Gosnells, the Ulrichs of the world who are collecting trophies. Yeah. It's sad. It is sad. That's crazy. And gross. Okay. That's your uh, Rebel News. Uh, we're going to actually jump into uh, a series that you you had a great idea. And that is, we, we find ourselves a lot of times we have, there's there are things going on. There are things we want to talk about. There, there are suggestions for episodes that come in. There's sometimes you're just reacting to what's going on in the culture because we're trying to equip Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. So, you know, last week we talked about the upcoming elections. Uh, and so a lot of times we'll just kind of go with what's going on in the world and how we can be of help to people. Um, but a lot of times we find ourselves needing to come in and record because something needs to get uh, put out next week. And we don't necessarily have a topic right on the tip of our tongue. So you came up with a great idea. Why don't you explain it? Sure. Um, for, but I'll also start by saying you would have made a great lawyer or politician there because basically what you just said was like, sometimes we just don't know what to talk about, <laughs> but you made it sound like we were being very smart about it. 
<laughs> I, uh, I, yeah. Good time. Future in politics. Future in politics. Nate 2024. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Is that Kim? For no. Prime Minister. Sure. Um, can I be your running mate? Yeah, there's not like vice presidents in Canada, but you could be like I'll just be on the ticket. something. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess that we don't have, we don't do that even. Yeah, That's vice terrible. prime minister. That's know. less fun. I'm it out. Is. I'm out. <laughs> ah, anyway, dang. I already uh, lost my. Yeah. <laughs> I've derailed De- yeah. all the good work you did. Obviously, this podcast is, exists to equip people um, with dealing with culture, um, but we also we also are firm believers in teaching people the the ways that they should be living their lives. We. As a, as postmo people, we think we should be almost raising people. Actually, not almost. Do raising people up um, to be able to do these kind of things. And so, one of the things that we are passionate about in terms of like, um, just well, you and your family and, and in our in our churches are, are catechisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what we thought we would do is we would go through the new city city cat, catechisms, maybe one by one, maybe groups at a time, and just kind of talk through each, each one of them yep. and then talk about how it applies to us in our day-to-day lives, um, out in the, out in the world, out in our work. Um, not so much just memorizing them, but how they, they still apply and how they help us engage culture with a biblical worldview. Right. Um, and we're kind of going to do that just whenever we don't have anything else going on, we're going to throw one of these out here. Yeah. So we'll s- kind of slowly work our way through. And what we're actually going to use is, and, and the reason we're going to use this is because at our, at our church, actually the young, the young kids in our church go through uh, the New City Catechism, uh, which is the catechism that was kind of adapted by Tim Keller and, uh, and Redeemer um, Church. And so they put out the New City Catechism, which is just kind of updated language, and, uh, and we, it's, it's pretty simple for people. So we use it at the church for our young people. And so we're, we just thought we'd kind of go through these things. We talk about um, the catechism because uh, knowing the, catechisms are, uh, the catechism is great, um, but uh, on top of that, we thought, particularly to put our own spin on this, is we can approach each question and answer with how does this help us to engage culture? How does this, how does this knowledge and how does this um, actually make a difference for us? So that's what we're going to do. Um, so why don't you get us started there, Chris? Yeah, so the very, the very first one. I'm just going to read it all, and then we can, we'll, we'll break it down and talk about it. Sound right? Yep. Beautiful. Um, so the first catechism is... Question one, what is our only hope in life and death? And we get, we answer that from Romans uh, 14, seven through eight, which is for none of us, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, which makes the answer that we are not our own, but belong body, soul, both in life and death to God and to our savior, Jesus Christ should be the first catechism. Right. So you have, um, so again, what is our only hope in life and death that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul, both in life and death to God, to our only savior, Jesus Christ. So the idea here is what's our only hope that we don't belong to ourselves, that we belong to God. So uh, when we think about the idea of hope, um, the question is essentially, uh, what, is the, what, is, what is our hope when all else fails, right? Like, what is our hope when everything hits the fan? What is our hope in life and in death? What do, what do we hope um, expresses a desire of like, uh, or the, a desire? Like, what do you want out of life and death? Um, also, what is your faith in, in life and in death? Uh, essentially, what's the what's the core for which your heart beats? 
in life and in death. And so the answer is essentially that you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And um, I think I think this is actually a, an immensely practical one um, and, a, and, a, and a very easy one. It's kind of getting lobbed a, a <laughs> slow pitch for our, uh, for our first episode here. Um, I Because I think that this is absolutely fundamental when we talk about engaging culture, right? Absolutely Amen. fundamental. Because what are the things you risk as a Christian when engaging the culture? Well, you risk um, reputation, right? You risk, in some instances, being hated in some cultures at some particular times. You risk imprisonment, death, right? Those kinds of things. Yeah, isolation, like isolation. All, these, all these things we, we shy away from, right? Right. And so all of those things speak to either a fear of death or a fear of man in life, right? So the fear of reputation, isolation, loneliness, all that kind of stuff. That is all kind of fear of man. Like, what am I? What what would I lose if I was to kind of out myself and speak against the culture, speak against the the status quo? And I think that that's um, really important for us to understand. Here is our only hope in engaging the culture because we don't know what the outcomes bring, right? We only know what God has called us to do. And in doing what God calls us to do, we know there are risks involved. And all those verses that come to mind, come to all of our minds, right? That Jesus says, the world hated me first, it's going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. All of those verses. And so the, the, the hope that we have isn't that the worst doesn't happen, right? Like, what is your, what is your only hope in life? Well, I hope that I don't get <laughs> imprisoned, Beat beaten, death, you know, isolated, made fun of, lost reputation, whatever. Um, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that your only hope in life is that you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God, which means that, and this is something I know you're really passionate about, so I'll, I'll pass this over to you, is um, your time isn't your own either, right? Meaning meaning what, what you do with your time and how you go about living your life, that's not for you to decide. Yeah, if, if, if we're not our own, um, and that's what this is saying, we are God's, um, I put, I always use the analogy of we are God's tool. So I own a, I own a hammer. It's probably the only tool I own, but it doesn't get to tell me what, when it gets to do what it gets to do, when I get to use it, when it gets to be put down, when it gets to be picked up, it's a tool for my enjoyment and my use. That's what we are to God. And in, 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 in essence, now that's not a perfect analogy, but it's the analogy I go with to make it easy for me to explain. Simply put, every moment that I'm alive, I'm a tool for, for his kingdom, right. which means all of my time needs to be directed to, towards doing that. And he will give me downtime and he will give me uptime because he, defi- he decides when this tool is going to be needed and when the tool is going to be used. I'm just simply a tool. Which also means that I don't fe- I don't need to fear. Now nobody's perfect at this. Don't get me wrong. I don't hear don't hear me saying like I I will boldly walk into anything without thinking about it. That's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I understand that nothing bad like everything that comes to us, like you said, isolation, hatred, um, all of, all of those negative things that can come to us mean ultimately mean nothing because we are gods and our hope is in. God, which means the worst thing that you can possibly do to me is kill me. But the Bible tells me, don't fear somebody who can kill the body, fear the one who can kill the soul, because that's the only thing that matters at that, at that point. So I have no fear. I can just be, I can be used how God wants me to be used. Um, I actually have a quote from Kelvin. Look at me. eh? Look at you. 
I'm going to read it about this. Is that cool? Yeah, do it. Okay. Um, so this is John Kelvin. I feel so smart right now. <laughs> I Googled it. Um, if then we are not our own, but the Lord's, it is clear that what error we must flee and whither, what a great word, uh, we must direct all the acts of our life. We are not our own. Let our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and our deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as a goal to seek what we is expedited for us. We are not our own. Notice how many times he repeats that. Um, In so far as we can, let us forget ourselves and all that is ours because we, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and and will therefore rule all of our actions. Let all parts of our life accordingly strive towards him and our only lawful goal. So good. Awesome. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Um John, Johnny C A. Eh? Johnny Kelv. He knows uh he knows how to put it. And I think I think this goes to I mean, there's all kinds of verses that would um come to our mind as we think about these things. Um the the one that came to my mind is in Luke fourteen where, you know, it says great crowds were accompanying Jesus and he turns around to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so he goes, um, he goes, Jesus kind of turns around to this crowd full of people who, you know, are, are traveling with him or, or consider themselves sort of his followers. And he's saying, no, no, unless you're willing to give up everything in your life, unless you're willing to abandon family, right? Abandon a career, abandon whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think in, Again, what makes someone able to do that, right? Like what makes some, someone able to sort of with reckless abandon, give up their own dreams, their own pursuits, their own goals, their own ambitions? Well, I think it's, it's understanding that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, right? That, that your life has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And so um, the, the story that comes to mind, I think I've used this um, in a sermon illustration. I don't know if I've used it on the podcast. So if you've heard it before, then just uh, enjoy it again. But <laughs> um, there's a story, and I don't know if the story is true or not, but um, there's a story about uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, when he went down to the um, uh, where they were selling slaves in the South. And he kind of went kind of uh, not disguised, but he kind of went without his whole um, posse. And he kind of went down to see kind of the evils of the slave trade um, in person. That's why I think it was kind of an exaggerated story because I don't think Abraham, well, I don't want to get into a political <laughs> historical debate. But um, so he goes down there and uh, and he's watching these slaves who are being auctioned off. And uh, he ends up seeing this one young kind of vulnerable looking girl and hearing some of the remarks of the people in the crowd. And so he decides that he's going to buy this this girl because he doesn't want her going to the people that he's listening to make comments about her. So he 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 buys this slave girl. And uh, when they when it comes time for her to him to kind of go pick her up or whatever, he goes and she looks at him with this sort of, you know, scowl. She looks at him with this sort of like you know, um, adversarially. And she says, so I guess, you know, I guess you, you own me now, eh? Like she says kind of sarcastically and he, and he says, no, no, you're free to go. And she kind of looks and she's like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I purchased your freedom. You're free to go. And she, she looks at him and she says, so I can go wherever I want. Yeah, you can go. I can go whenever I want. Yep. I can do whatever I want. Yep. 
And then she kind of looks and she looks around and she looks up at him. She's like, well, can I come with you? <laughs> right. And, and I remember hearing that story. I can't remember where, where I heard it, but, um, it's, it's a great picture of the gospel and whether it's true or not, it's a good story. And, uh, but what it shows, I think here is this idea that when you recognize that your freedom has been purchased, when you recognize that you're not your own, but you've been bought with a price that it, it sort of gives you true gratitude looks like then giving your life back over to the one who bought your freedom. Right. And I think that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I think that's what Luke 14 is getting at. That's what I think this particular question in the catechism is getting at. The other verse that kind of comes to mind is in uh, Luke 12, when Jesus is talking about seeds, right? And he says, unless a, a, a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't bear any fruit. And so the idea again, there is you kind of give up yourself, you give of yourself in order to bear fruit. And uh, what was it that, um, was it Joe Boot? talked about at uh, the Ezra Institute, that quote that stuck with you, where he says, you know, true Christian maturity looks like planting a tree that you'll never sit in the shade of. Yeah, that's exactly the quote. Yeah. Um, and, and again, this is, these are the sorts of things that the recognition that you are not your own, but you uh, belong to God in life and in death, soul, body, you belong to God. Therefore, your time is his, your treasure is his, your life is his. Um, it allows you to live for a bigger purpose, right? It allows you to live for his goals and his story as opposed to your own. And we talk a lot through the series that we're teaching through at Crossroads right now. We talk a lot about, you know, we can live our individual lives telling our own story or we can live our individual lives telling his story. And the only value any of our individual stories have is, is how much it attests to, how much it's wrapped up in his ultimate story. And I think all of this ties down to, do you believe that you belong to God? Do you believe that you've been purchased with a price? Do you believe that you are not your own? You belong to him. So I think all of this ties into, if you really believe this, it, it makes you an engaging the culture kind of person. Exactly. It's a, um, it's important to remember like how you, how you live and how, and how much you engage culture doesn't save you or anything like that. So like, but the idea of like when you've been truly purchased from the grave, when you've been, when you've been resurrected, like the, yep. that's the biblical language is that we are dead people. When we're brought back to life in Christ, the only option then is to follow him completely. Right. And that makes us people who will, we will be willing to give up everything to do so. You know what I mean? That means all of the other goals of our life are secondary to that goal. I'm not saying you're not going to have, you want to be successful in your career, raise a good family or anything, but those, all of those are, are means to an end. Exactly. Really. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I was They're seeking, not an end the word. of themselves. Exactly. The, the means is like the means to the end to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Um, and to build spoiler a, alert. That's another question. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> I have read the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think, I think it's, um, I think if you, are looking at somebody and, and wanting to know where they're on their faith, what they're do, what they're doing. You can, this question helps answer that question for, for you. And it's also a really good one to reflect on you. How much are, how much am I putting my hope in Christ and not in myself? How much, right. how much am I putting my hope in the promises of God, not my means to get by this? We talk about this all the time in church setting, like you're a talented guy. I sometimes can do a couple good things. We get how much how much stuff can we get accomplished just from our own white knuckling it, boiling it down? When we think about well, what could we do if we jumped off a ledge that God's we feel God's leading us to do? 
knowing that we're going to plummet to our deaths if he doesn't pick right. us up and carry us. It's, it's that idea. It's a really grim analogy, but I get it. <laughs> it is a grim analogy, but I mean, I, all of my analogies have been about <laughs> suicide. This is terrible. Um, I am not needing help. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a desperate plea. It's a desperate, it's a cry for help. Um, but what I mean is like when, when the church and when Christians start to engage culture and start to take steps not out of fear, like no longer out of fear of man, but out of fear of God. Right. And like part of my French, but forget who, like who cares what anybody else thinks. That's when we're going to see like real transformation, if that makes sense. Yep. It's like that John Stott, uh, not John Stott, John Knox, um, like, give me, who, give me, give me Scotland, Scotland or, or I'll die. You know what right. I mean? Like I could, like I could care less about what anybody thinks. Right. And what did he do? He got Scotland. You right. know what I mean? So I just think, I just been thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I, uh, I think, and, and I think, you know, when we, you know, I'm just trying, just thinking practically, there's some, um, kind of pastoral things, uh, go, that are happening right now with people, uh, in, in our lives who, you know, their, their kids are going through difficult times. I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to use a couple examples. So I'm not using anybody's specific example, but like when there's difficulty going on in our lives, when there's marriage difficulties, right. When, when a very, very close loved one is not following God, does not recognize God, um, is, uh, is, you know, actively pursuing a destructive lifestyle, whatever the case may be. You know, I think sometimes as parents, as husbands, as wives, as whatever it is that we are, we, we begin to um, soften our approach to what they're doing, and um, we st- we start to second guess: Is this Christianity thing really? Because you know, is God more important to me than my kids, than my spouse? Right? And those are questions you can only answer correctly if you believe this statement, right? If you believe that you are not your own, because in and of ourselves, none of us love God enough to reject the things that a sinful heart loves. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to love your kids. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to love your spouse. You're supposed to do all those things. Um, But the point here is that when things get really difficult and um, doing the right thing, right? Following God in the midst of, people who you love who are not or who are ridiculing you for it the only thing that's going to get you through that is to believe that you are not your own but you belong body soul and life and death to god and to jesus christ um so um that's kind of what we envision these being do you have any more i know uh you you kind of came up with this series so is there anything else you want to tag on to this first episode uh, no, just if like a main thing, like like always, if you have questions or if we didn't hit something you wanted us to break down in the catechism, hit us with the with the email, um, shoot us something on Facebook or whatever, because this is really going to be like our supplement to the the Rebel News and all that stuff yeah, that we so do. Yeah, you over, get one of these time. every couple of weeks, exactly. you know, between interviews, between the the other things that we regularly do. You'll just you'll just see these kind of trudging along, and in three or four years, we might get through them all, but but probably not. Unlikely. Um, Unlikely. But uh, but we're just gonna kind of this will be the thing that we do when um, when we're between things to do. <laughs> great, great way to put it. <laughs> but if there's one that's like somebody's like, I really want them to talk about yeah, how this engages, forward. we can absolutely jump around and, yep. and stuff like that for so. sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week uh, where we actually have something special uh, for you. So make sure you tune in.